welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. The following podcast is part 40 in the series Contending for the Faith. This is the evening service of Sunday the 28th of March 2010, entitled God the Holy Spirit Part 4, and the Bible reading is taken from 1 Corinthians chapter 12 verses 12 to 14. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. Those that may not know, of course, uh, today, last Sunday in March, means that we have been in our present what is usually our Sunday morning series for exactly one year. It was the first Sunday in April when we began last year on our series for Contending for the Faith. And of course, we began with the book of Jude, and we took a number of Sundays there and looking at the importance uh, of contending for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. And uh, one of the real dangers in, in Christianity and in, and in the church today is that uh, a lot of people out there they don't even know what the word apologetics means, let alone how to put it into practice. Uh, they, you know, they believe this or they believe that because that uh, uh, the church has told them or somebody's passed it on. But uh, to actually be able to to take the word of God and explain why they believe something, they find a real challenge. And of course, many of you that uh, that join us in the open airs and whatnot find that uh, you know it's a shame sometimes because those that come from what we know are non-Christian faiths can sometimes stand there and defend what they believe uh, better than so many Christians can. Of course, after going beginning in that series, we then embarked upon still staying with our contending for the faith, but simply called the fundamentals. What are the fundamentals? What are the, the foundations that our faith is built upon? Because there are some things that cannot, in, under any circumstances, uh, they can't be compromised. Uh, you cannot do away with them and still have the same faith. And as we have gone through many of, uh, of those, uh, and of course I've got a whole list of them if, uh, if you've forgotten any of them, uh, I guess the main ones that we have done on contending for the faith is, uh, of course, the basis of our faith, the inspired Word of God, uh, the eternal existence of a triune God. And we spent a long time on Jesus Christ our Lord and particularly on His, uh, His visible return. Uh, nothing but the blood, the truth about Satan, and of course right now we're on God the Holy Spirit. And of course, this is our fourth sermon on God the Holy Spirit. So we began this that, of course, you know, so many times it's one of those areas that uh, many times we stray away because there have been so many abuses, so many wrong things taught that we can almost become afraid to approach the subject. But the reality is there's things that we need to know. God the Holy Spirit is what we're calling it. The Holy Spirit is just as much God as God the Father or God the Son. And we need to understand just what it is. And of course, we've looked thus far, first of all, at the promise of the Spirit. We looked at John chapter 14, uh, and also not only the promise that the Lord Jesus Christ made in sending Him, the person, that He's not just some power, some influence, but that He is a person, that He is God. And then we looked at the purpose. What was the purpose that Jesus said that He was going to send this paraclete, this comforter, this one to come alongside us? And we began this morning looking at the practice. Well, if those are the purposes that he's come for, and we said we're going to break that into two areas, and today we're covering this this evening to finish off this morning's because I didn't want to leave a Sunday in between on the, uh, on the same sermon. We were going to break it into two areas, a practice that relates to conversion and a practice that relates to control. A practice that relates to conversion, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And that scares a lot of people when they, when they hear that term because of many of the, uh, the false teachings that have been put out. And of course, the 
a practice that relates to control, which we'll look at next, will be the filling of the Holy Spirit. Now, as we look there this morning, we won't have time to, to go back and go over those things, but we looked at exactly what baptized really means, both literally and, and, and metaphorically. Uh, we looked at how that applies to uh, using that term baptism along with the Holy Spirit. And then, of course, we looked at uh, seven passages because uh, the baptism of the Holy Spirit in itself is not mentioned in the Old Testament. And as we move into the New Testament, we find that it's, list, it's mentioned seven times precisely as being the baptism of the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit. Four of those we looked at are, are uh, recorded when uh, the John the Baptist was talking about himself baptizing with water, but one coming, that he wasn't even, uh, he wasn't even worthy to, uh, uh, to lace up his shoes, uh, that he was coming to, not to baptize with water as John had, but to baptize with the Holy Ghost. And in two of those instances, of course, we looked at that, the Holy Ghost and fire, which spoke of, of judgment. And then the next time it's mentioned in the Word of God is in Acts chapter 1 when Jesus Christ Himself told His apostles just before His ascension uh, that they needed to wait, that uh, uh, the day was drawing very close, but they needed to wait for the baptism of the Holy Spirit once again. The next time is in Acts chapter 11, and when we look there, it's past tense. And of course, we looked at a number of things that points us that the baptism of the Holy Spirit first came on the day of Pentecost. And we know that that was when it originated. And then we know that there was a transition period because, look, this was something new. The Holy Spirit Himself had not indwelt man. This was what Jesus told us as we looked at John chapter 4 that was going to be so different. Now, in looking at those things this morning, we pointed out two things which uh, we said that, first of all, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, looking primarily at our text here in uh, 1 Corinthians, which, uh, uh, again, is the... Uh, the other time we find that five of those uh, instances are prophetic. One of them is his historic in Acts chapter 11. And here in 1 Corinthians is, of course, that one which is given to us, the didactic or the, the one that is given to us for instruction. And that's where we were looking this morning. The first, the first thing was that the baptism of the Holy Spirit includes every Christian. We see that they were all, all of them were baptized in the Holy Spirit. Secondly, we saw that the baptism of the Holy Spirit instantly occurs at every Christian's conversion. It's not a second blessing. It's not a second working of grace. It's something that occurs the instant that an individual puts their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. We said that as we looked there this morning that we were going to, to look at a couple more things this evening. And, and of course, I told you I'd probably ruffle a few feathers this morning, and I probably will this evening. And, 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 and that's fine. I'm going to try to be honest. I want you to understand. I want you to be able to know uh, what the doctrines of the Holy Spirit are and how that you can understand. It's not something that we need to be afraid of. We said that we'll look, especially as we look into the, the feeling of the Holy Spirit, of, 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 of the power and the presence in His life and how we need Him uh, to be able to be effective servants. But I want you to look next this evening at the fact that not only is the baptism of the Holy Spirit something that is with every child of God the instant that he becomes a Christian, but it's the baptism of the Holy Spirit that inducts every Christian into the church or into the body of Christ. Notice again our scripture in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I'll invite you to stand with me uh, to honor the reading as we read these three verses again in verses 12, 13, and 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12, For as the body is one, and hath many members, 
and all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one Spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. Father, I thank you again this evening. I thank you for each one that is here. Again, Lord, we just pray that, uh, Lord, that this time would be used, that you would take and use thy unworthy servant, that you would anoint, that you would quicken your word and make it alive. Lord, you know the individuals here tonight. You know each and every heart. You know each and every need. We pray, Lord, that you would meet those needs, and we pray, Lord, that, uh, Lord, that 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 goes forth from your word would be that that would find a resting place in our hearts and, Lord, be put into practice in our lives. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen and amen. Of course, we said the message that is being emphasized in these verses, the very illustration that is being used here is that of one body, that we're all members of one body. It is the picture of all, which we saw this morning, speaking of all the believers, of all of us being brought into that one body by one baptism, which is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Verse 13, for by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body. Now, what is the one body? And of course, this is an area which I think I actually uh, point out uh, uh, somewhere a little later in my, uh, in my notes here, that uh, great Christians, uh, great men of God, great women of God, great Bible scholars, men that are trustworthy and evangelical and orthodox and fundamental and Bible-believing, preachers and teachers, past and present. They've had different opinions as to some of the terminology and the words that, that are used, and especially in putting into a real everyday practice uh, this whole teaching in the Scripture of a called-out assembly. Uh, and of course, again, I think that uh, what you would find as we look there that uh, is that even, quote, unquote, good, fundamental, solid, Bible-believing Baptist would have some different opinions on how to term some of these things. And, of course, a lot of that has come about because of a lot of false teaching. We have to deal with things and practices in the past, uh, many things concerning, quote, unquote, a universal church and a universal Catholic church, small c, not large c there, that has found its way into uh, Christianity in, in many different places and has played a very destructive role in the truths that God has given us in His, in His Word. And of course, we want to be able to look and decipher, and, and I think the thing is, yes, some of it is semantics, and sometimes some of us are saying the same thing in different ways, but there are many out there that believe something totally, completely different that use terms, and so hence that is one reason that I shy away from the term of using the term universal church when talking of the body of Christ because it brings a lot of confusion and people can think that you're talking about something that is entirely different from what you might be talking about. You see, the thing is, is that sometimes, sometimes we look at these things and sometimes we wish, God, why didn't you, why didn't you use those translators to give us two different words? Uh, I mean, you know, I believe with all my heart, and let me put it this simple, and we're going to look at some things here, and I'm going to tell you, I believe very simply that there are two called-out assemblies. I believe that there is only one called-out assembly that has any authority 
that has been put here by the Lord Jesus Christ himself in this dispensation that you and I live in, and that is the local church. And that is what each and every child of God should be accountable to. That's who God works through. And listen, I know, I know that there are a lot of parachurch organizations out there that, that do a lot of good things, but that doesn't make it right and it doesn't make it biblical just because they're doing good things. For a ministry to be biblical, it ought to be accountable to a local church. And there's so many things, and I said this morning that we will come to that. I can't get sidetracked here on the, the teaching of the Holy Spirit because the teaching of the church will come just a little ways down the road. But the truth is, I want you to realize and understand. And this is where that even when some of us might use different terms, you see, I might capitalize, if you look at our statement of faith, we make it very clear that we believe in a church, a body of Christ, a capital C which is made up of all believers of all time, but that is a church that is in prospect. It will be for the first time existent, visible at the rapture. That's when it'll come together. That's when it'll be something right now. I hope and pray to God that you've been placed into that and that you'll be there when the rapture comes and when that call comes and that you'll be part of that, that called out assembly that's going to be called right out of this earth and to meet the Lord in the air and to ever be with Him. But I believe right now on this earth that... We can't do things just because well, we're a member of a universal church. Believe that it's God's local church that he has placed here. And so many times, even, you know, I think that uh, you'll find that, that most quote-unquote fundamental conservative Bible-believing, uh, particularly uh, Baptists as we are, would agree on these issues, even though they may use some different terms. But be careful because this is where the, the problem comes in is there's so many different terms. Now, I've got a lot of that stuff worked in my sermon later, so I'm really going to have a mess when I'm trying to find it in my, my notes, and I've already covered it. But I want you to turn with me, and I'm just going to give you a few things that, that uh, I hope will help you this evening. First of all, look with me into uh, Colossians chapter 1. What is the one body uh, that is being talked about here? In Colossians chapter 1, Notice what he says, first of all in verse 18, it says, and he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. Look down in verse 24, who now rejoice in my sufferings for you, and fill up with that which is behind of the affliction of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church. Now, again, in some instances, I guess this called out assembly that is being called church in our, in our English language, that as we look there, many would argue, well, is he talking about a local church or is he talking about a church the whole body of Christ. Well, I believe that, first of all, that the truth is applicable to both, full stop, because God doesn't have one thing in one and not in the other. And uh, so as we look here, though, we find that, that the Bible itself says that the body is the church. Now, that's the exact same word, and you can't really make a whole lot out of it, because if you look back to the uh, original, it's a very broad-based word that simply means body uh, or bodily. Uh, and it's used for all kinds of different things. It can even be used for, uh, uh, to designate a slave. Uh, but as we look here, I'm saying, first of all, that as we question what is the body, well, we talk about the body and the church. 
then I think that we find that. And of course, look just a, a few pages over in the book of Ephesians chapter 4. And notice what he says here in verses 4 through 6. He says, but when the fullness of the time, whoops, I'm in Galatians. <laughs> in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 4 to 6, there is one body and one spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. When we look at the fundamental truths concerning the church in a few weeks, we'll look at some of these things in more detail. But as we look right there, I've made the statement, and I want to say this again, that during this dispensation of grace, even sometimes called the church age that you and I live in, there is only one called out assembly that has any visibility, that has any authority. There's one body, one church that has the authority that is the instrument through which Christ is accomplishing His work upon this earth, through which we as believers should faithfully be a part and worship and serve through, through which we should be doing our utmost to reach the lost world out there with the message of the gospel. And that's the local church. To this body, to this assembly, every believer should be, should be a member, a faithful member, an active member in attendance, in service, in finances, in all those ways. And I've said it before and I'll say it again, not to do so is simply plain disobedience. You can't go to God's Word and not see that it's vital and important for every Christian to be a part of a local body. Now, again, as I said, that we try to differentiate these things in our own statement of faith so that there's no misunderstanding, but with all the differences in terms and explanations, anyone that has studied the Bible to any degree whatsoever will have to admit that as we begin to look at the Scriptures that some would say almost as myself, almost every passage in the Scripture where you find the word church that is this called out assembly is speaking to a local New Testament church. Matter of fact, a vast majority of our New Testament is written to local churches. And there would be some that would say if there are other places which I believe that are speaking of the the called out assembly, the body of Christ that will be raptured out of here at the rapture, that the Bible doesn't tell us a whole lot about that one. That the vast majority of what the Word of God teaches is about a local assembly. So in practice, I don't believe that any true Bible believer could or would accept anything other than the truth that any and all authority and accountability and action which is the Lord's work of our dispensation for God's people lies in the hands of the local church, the visible body of Christ on this earth of which He, Jesus Christ Himself, is the head. Like I said, as we come and look at some of those things in more detail later, we'll look at them, but if, if we're going to 
be faithful here, I want you to again look back at this passage which says, for by one spirit are we all baptized into one body. Now the one spirit, there is no question, is clearly the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit does this baptizing. Of course, we saw this morning that in fact we could say that it's Jesus Christ, it's the ministry of Christ that's being done with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit baptizes all into one body. Now, the Bible itself calls the body the church. It's not by the baptism of the Holy Spirit that we're brought into the local body. We use water baptism for that. Now, again, we find confusion today because there are some churches out there that you don't have to go along and make any kind of a commitment to, to be a member to that church. Well, I would challenge them scripturally, how can you have a New Testament church if there is no accountability and if there's no authority whatsoever and people can come and just because they're coming regardless of what they believe, regardless of whether they're in unity with you or whatnot, they're considered a part of the fellowship. Matter of fact, I've had people because we live in a day when that accountability to a local assembly is something that has been shunned and put aside by many. Many of you have heard the term, and I don't mean it nastily, but we've got an awful lot of spiritual gypsies that just go from one place to another place to another place to another place. That doesn't mean that they're not saved. doesn't mean that we don't love them. But they need to settle down somewhere and they need to commit themselves and they need to be accountable to the local body as the Lord Himself set it up in the New Testament. And we find that it's not the baptism of the Holy Spirit that places them in the local body. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is accomplished at conversion. It is a prerequisite to water baptism. That water baptism, again, I believe if you look at your Bibles, can only be administered biblically through the authority of the local church, Christ's body here on this earth. We're not a member of the local church just because we're saved. That's when the Spirit baptism takes place. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is a spirit baptism that places us into a spiritual body. The one body that will be called out together to meet Him in the air. You know, there's still tear amongst the wheat down here. We, we have a responsibility in the local church to keep it as pure as we possibly can. That a person should, well, there is no should to it. In order to be a member of the church, then the one thing that you have to confirm before the whole congregation is that you know without a shadow of a doubt that you have been saved, that you've been born again. And of course, following that, that salvation, you have to submit to water baptism. It's obedience. You can't be obedient to God and just leave that out. That's the first step that a Christian should commit to, to identify themselves in this world with the Lord Jesus Christ and with the local body. We find that we're then responsible to be obedient, to follow the Lord in believer's baptism by immersion under the authority of a local church and then be placed into that called out assembly, that church, that local church here upon this earth. The baptism of the Holy Spirit, it includes every Christian. It instantly occurs at conversion. It inducts the Christian into the body. 
into the church, into the called out assembly. And however you want to divide those names, what I'm trying to say is this is that if that is putting us into the body, as it says here, into one body, then that is a body that, again, even though as a child of God, when you're baptized by the Holy Spirit and you're placed into that one body, folks, that one body, that one body will not be called out of here until the day the trumpet sounds when the Lord Jesus Christ returns. And in the meantime, until that day comes, there's only one body that you need to be a part of on this earth. That's the local body, the local church. We find that one good thing about the body of the Lord Jesus Christ that's going to leave here on the rapture. Boy, there's no wheat and tear in that one. There's no false doctrine in that one. There is nothing false about it. You know, you've, most of you have heard the saying, I guess it kind of gets put in, you know, if you find a perfect church, don't join it because it won't be perfect anymore if you're there. Well, the truth is, is that there are no perfect churches, are they? Because churches are a, a people that have committed themselves together, covenanted themselves together is what we used to say. You know, they make a promise around a statement of faith, a statement of beliefs, that this is where we are in unity. We're together on these things. Now, I've never, and I try to be very careful, I don't stand up here and say that we're the only church in Birmingham that has got it right. We'd be foolish to say that. But the thing is, we know this for a fact, and many of you are in a situation. You go around this great, the second largest city in our nation, go around this city trying to find how many Bible-believing, Bible-preaching, Bible-teaching churches, whether it does or not have the same name Baptist in it that ours does, just try to find a church that sticks anywhere close to that Word of God. You're going to have a challenge upon your hands. That's not saying there's not a lot of good people out there and a lot of those people are going to heaven. But I'm saying if you're going to be in unity, if you're going to be at one with the body of people, we saw and we said that we'll come back and we'll talk about these spiritual gifts and, and, and the fruits of the Spirit and those things later. But, but the truth is, you can't be at one with someone if you're apart on the very fundamental, the very foundations of what you're supposed to be believing. And by the same token, it is because of scriptures like this being taken wrong that people come back and say that, well, you know, they don't have to join the local church because they're part of the universal church. And by the same token, they don't believe that they have to join your church because the Bible says they've been baptized into the body. They're just as much a part of the body as you are. And therefore, you don't know. That's not. And when we look at the context and we start looking at the consequences of those things, we find that the reality is that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is instantly occurs at the point of conversion. It inducts the Christian into the church. And of course, we've just seen here that, what did I leave out? It instantly occurs. It includes every Christian. It instantly occurs at conversion. It inducts the Christian into the church. And there's one other thing I want to give you this evening. The baptism of the Holy Spirit identifies every Christian with Christ, his body. You know, verse 12 there is pretty strong when it, when it goes off and he gives us this great illustration for as the body is one and hath many members and all the members of that one body being many are one body. Look at those next four words. So also is Christ. It's all about Christ. It's his body that we're being baptized into. 
This is the reality of the promise that he gave us back in John chapter 14, verse 20, when he said, And that day ye shall know that I am in my Father, and ye in me, and I in you. Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. And I can hear some of you now saying, But preacher, that's a passage that even we use sometimes when it's a water baptism. Yes? Turn there with me. Romans chapter 6. Verses 1 through 4. You know I had to get you into Romans somewhere in this sermon anyway. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into His death? Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Now first of all, baptism identifies us with Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. Yes, we do look at this passage. We have read this passage when we are going through water baptisms right here in our own church, and rightly so. But look closely here. First of all, verse 3. He says, Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Now, I want to ask you a very simple, basic question. Has water baptism ever, ever placed anybody in Christ? Absolutely not. I said this morning in the other illustration, you can go in a dry center and come out a wetman. All the water baptisms in the world is not what's going to place you in Christ. He says here that you were baptized into Jesus Christ. Verse 4, Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so, also, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Just as water baptism has never placed anyone into Christ's death, do you honestly believe that water baptism could ever make the resurrection possible? Or just because that a person has been through the water, that they would come out walking in newness of life? Yes, we use those words, and yes, we mean those words. But I'm saying that just as salvation, you can get out there and you can talk all the words in the world, but it's with the heart man believeth. If something hasn't taken place on the inside, all of the religious stuff on the outside is not going to accomplish anything. When a person goes into that baptismal pool and they follow the Lord Jesus Christ in that step of obedience, I'm telling you, that unless they've already been baptized in the Holy Spirit, into Christ, into His death, into His resurrection, then the truth is that water is not going to do anything for them. Yes, that water identifies them with Christ, but it is symbolic of what has already taken place on the inside. The water itself accomplishes nothing. It's vital. It's important for the Christian, but the water doesn't save them. The water is not what makes the difference in their, in their life as far as getting them to heaven but it makes a difference if they want to disobey God and not do it. It'll make a difference in their walk with the Lord. Water baptism is a beautiful symbol 
that pictures the gospel itself, that death, that burial, that resurrection. That's what made it all possible. That's the only thing that makes it possible for any one of us to walk in newness of life. Water baptism can only truly identify us with Christ if we're already identified with him inwardly through the Spirit's baptism. You see, it is an outward show. But just as surely, for with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, but with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. You know, that's why I've said before, don't get me wrong, and, and, and we've even got them on some of ours, I, I get nervous. I, 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 if I have a preference, if I'm, if I'm giving out tracts to someone and literature, I prefer, I prefer to use a tract that doesn't have a printed prayer on the back. I know there's some good tracts that do, but I prefer not to because I don't want to put the words into somebody's mouth that will somehow lead them down a path that will give them some kind of a, a, a false confidence in something that's not real. If they say that prayer from their heart, then yes, it can save them. But I'd rather tell them what they need to pray about and let them put it in their own words, even if it's not as flowery and pretty. If it comes from within, that's what's important. We find that it's the same thing with the baptism, folks. If it hasn't taken place internally, then all the external show is going to accomplish absolutely nothing. Look with me into Galatians chapter 3 and verse 27 as we come to a close. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 27. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. As many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. And I ask you again, is water baptism going to put Christ on anyone just because they go through the water? The identity must take place within before it's shown outwardly. You recognize that much of the false teaching of what we would term baptismal regeneration has come simply because of people not rightly dividing the word of truth. And they've put meaning upon things that they have said is water baptism when if we just study the word of God, folks, that baptism with the Holy Spirit that Jesus Christ does for us when we put our faith and trust in him, that's the baptism that, that baptizes us into his death. That's the baptism that will help us to, to walk in newness of life. And yes, we should then outwardly show that through water baptism, identify ourselves publicly and openly with Him. You must be identified with Christ through the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And only through that baptism, inducted into the body of Christ, if you want to be identified with Him in the rapture when He returns, when He calls His church, His assembly out of here, Membership in the local church alone, baptism in water alone, is not sufficient. Those things are vital, important, once the other has taken place, but they're not sufficient. The baptism of the Holy Spirit, folks, it is something that I said this morning, nowhere. I read you every passage that mentions it specifically. I encouraged you not to be put off, not to be 
I guess, sidetracked because of many of the false teachings of our day concerning this thing. Look at what the Word of God says. Be able to stand and say that you believe it because it's in the Word of God. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is important. As a matter of fact, it's absolutely necessary. But it's something that every child of God, every child of God is included in it. It's something that is instant at the point of conversion. When you put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit comes in, takes up residence in you. You're baptized with the Holy Spirit. It's the baptism of the Holy Spirit that inducts you into the one body. All the water baptism in the world will not do that. But you need to be part of that one body. And it's truly the baptism of the Holy Spirit that identifies you with Christ. Yes, the outward show of that in water baptism is then a necessary, important thing to follow, but worthless unless you've been identified internally by the baptism that only He can give you. This evening, I want you to absolutely, when you leave here this evening, I want you to know one thing beyond all else. You see, that's that you know, you know, you know that you've been baptized in the Holy Ghost. In light of these things, and we see that this baptism of the Holy Spirit is not some kind of an emotional experience, even though hopefully it'll affect your emotions in some way sometimes. It's not just something that is something that anywhere in any of those passages that as Christians that were ever, ever even hinted at needing to seek after and seek as many are doing today. It is an instantaneous act of God by His grace. And it relates to our position in Christ. It's what puts us in Him. It's what puts Him in us. We find that many of these false ideas brings much confusion. The Scripture is given to us that we can understand. It is an extremely important, but also Extremely important that we correctly understand what God teaches us about these things. Aren't you glad that things are so certain with God that when God says something, it's as good as done? He doesn't start a job and, and leave it undone. And of course, I guess that my mind is drawn back to Book of Romans again, if you wouldn't guess it. <coughs> Pardon me with my, my cough. I guess that, uh, again, one of the passages that has always brought me such comfort and confidence, and you all know that if you don't know anything else that's going to take place at my funeral, it's going to be the reading of Romans chapter 8. Not that I'm trying to rush it along any, but I love the way that and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to His purpose. Why? For whom He did foreknow, He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom He did predestinate, them He also called. And whom He called, them He also justified. And whom He justified, them He also glorified. 
Every one of those words, I've pointed out, they're all past tense. Now, I know I can look in the mirror, and folks, believe me, you don't have to tell. I know I'm not glorified yet. I'm still looking for that glorified body. As far as God's concerned, it's done. It's a done deal because nothing is going to stop it. Nothing. And of course, if we read this chapter on, nothing can separate us from the love of God. Praise God. It's a done deal. And you see, that's the thing that water baptism alone won't be a done deal for you. But the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, when you're placed in Christ, that's a job that God does, and it's permanent. And you don't have to worry about losing it somewhere or misplacing it along the way. This evening, I would say to you as we come to an end to this service down here, that we don't know. We don't know what today holds, tomorrow holds, next week holds. And I look out there and you're all fine looking folks to me. But I wonder, honestly, an honest question that only you can answer, do you know with absolute certainty, without any shadow of a doubt, do you know that you're saved? that you've been baptized by the Holy Ghost into Christ, into His body, that you're there. And if the trumpet sounds, you've been placed in that one body that is leaving out of here, praise God. It's not going to be here any longer. Do you know with certainty? And may I ask you, if you don't have that certainty, why on earth would you want to leave this place this evening with those doubts? We'd love to take the Word of God. If you've got questions... You know, we're not here to coerce anybody or talk you into anything because if we do, nothing's going to be accomplished anyway. We're not even here to get you to, to be a part of this local church. If God sends you, great. If He doesn't, we want you to be where God wants you to be. But do you know that you're ready to face Him this evening? I trust and pray that if you don't know that, that you, you, you can come. We're getting ready to sing a hymn of invitation. You can come see us following the service. I'm not really concerned about the, the style and the way we do it. It's the fact that you don't go out those doors lost tonight. Christians, I hope that this morning and this evening, and I know, believe me, I know, you know, it's amazing. I mean, we spent a year on this series, and, and I've had to go through so many things so quick. There, there's a lot of things, but, but we're trying to cover it slow enough and in detail enough that you can understand from the Word of God why we believe these things that we believe. And that you can explain it to someone and you can take the Bible and say, I believe it because this is what God says. And of course, as we go through, I trust and pray that it'll help you to be able to do that. This evening, have the confidence of knowing. Don't let people confuse you and thinking that somebody out here that's more spiritual because they've got something that you don't have. And if you're saved, if you're a child of God, I believe if you look at the Scripture, forget about all the things that man says. Look strictly at the verses of Scripture that we've looked at today, and you'll know with absolute certainty it's something that's taken place in your life the moment you trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you've seen some of the things of what it's accomplished for you when that did take place and why it's so important. Hang on to those truths and stand on those truths, and don't let man try to move you from them. Father, we thank you this evening for each one that is here. 
Lord, I, I know that we've had to brush on a, a lot of things and what, but I pray this today, Lord, that you can take these thoughts from this morning and this evening. Lord, that you can help each of us, Lord, to, to have a good understanding of what's so important about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Help us not to be afraid of it. Help us, Lord, to, to stand firm upon the truths of it. Help us to understand what a wonderful, glorious gift it is that you've given to us. And of course, as we move through and look at some other things, we'll look at some of the results, not only of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but the filling of the Holy Spirit and how these things will work out in our lives. But I pray here this evening that if there's anyone in our midst that does not have that absolute certainty of knowing the Lord Jesus Christ, then I pray that by the power of your Spirit that you would speak to their hearts. And I pray, Lord, that they would not leave this place. Lord, if they want to come during this hymn of invitation, then someone will meet with them. Lord, if they want to meet with us afterwards, Lord, I just pray that you would help them, Lord, not to procrastinate and put these things off, but help them to respond to the invitation Lord, not that it's so important that we're doing it, but the invitation that you're giving to them this evening. Of course, in Christ's name we pray. Amen.